So wonderful to see all of you here today again. What an absolute privilege and welcome to the families. There's nothing like seeing two things, the best things in the world for a pastor, somebody that gives their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, and then when they're obedient to Jesus and following him through baptism, signifying our new life and our old one that is God. So today for me, I was just thinking about this a new birth and new beginnings and baptism and so on, and I just was thinking uh, what a privilege it is to be part of the kingdom of heaven. And I just want to have a gentle reminder today of who we are in Christ. There's often an identity um, crisis in the body of Christ. We, we know who we were, but we forget that of who we are in a sense, as the enemy loves to have us look in the past and look backwards, but God wants us to look forward. And that's what I want to speak about, about the spiritual blessings and how blessed we are to be people of God. See, even in the midst of frustrations, our trials and hardships, we are blessed beyond what we could ever, ever ask or imagine. The fact that our lives are written in the Lamb's book of life, that we'll spend eternity with our Lord and, and Savior. Nate, can you please give me a, uh, get that uh, water for me? Can you imagine that? I can only imagine what it's going to be like. So we are the blessed ones. We are the ones that God has saved. And once again, God just I want to, uh, uh, I believe, wants to rekindle that first love that we all had. He says we, be, we are blessed because He promises never, ever, to leave us alone. I'm going to speak about a few of the spiritual blessings. I can't imagine going through life without Jesus Christ. And if you are, I can't imagine that either because Jesus loves you. He sent his son to die for you and I so that we could be a part of his family, the family of God. And if you'd like to chat to us more about it and you're not here today, please contact the office. We'd love to do that. You see, in the midst of our frustrations, even now in COVID, and the trials and hardships, we are blessed beyond what we could ever think, ask, or imagine. We are blessed because He promises, and this is what I want to focus on, that He will never, ever leave us or forsake us. That He would be with us to the very end of the age. That He is a God that sticks closer than a brother. You see, Jesus Christ, church, is the shepherd of our soul. We know Psalm 23 well, when it says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because He is with us. His rod and His staff will comfort us, and He prepares an amazing table in the midst of the chaos. And this is part of that table. We are feasting at the table of God right now. And we fear no evil, as I said, because He is always with us. In 1 Peter 1, verse 3 to 9, we see Peter writing to churches that have been scattered by persecution under terrible times and terrible trials. And Peter writes this 
this letter to them in these hard times. As I said, a church scattered by persecution. And, and he reminds them that no matter what comes their way, the ultimate goal of our faith is not simply a happy life. The goal of our faith is the salvation of our souls. And so often we look at the natural when we should be looking at the supernatural blessings of God. And because we have the salvation of our souls, we are more blessed than anybody else outside of the church. And God wants them to be blessed. God wants us to reach out to them. And this is what Peter writes to this, this church that is in scattering and not knowing what to do. And he says this, Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never, ever perish, spoil, or fade. That's our eternal inheritance. This, heaven, this inheritance, he says, is kept in heaven for you through faith, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is already to be revealed at last. In this you greatly rejoice, church. Therefore now you might have to suffer a little grief of all kinds of trials. These have come so that the genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by the fire, may, be, may result in praise and glory and honor to Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him, now you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible joy of the glory of God. For you are receiving, here it is, the goal of our faith, the salvation of our souls. You see, the truly blessings of God are not simply material, and God loves to bless us in many ways and provide for us. But the, the blessings, the true blessings, as I've said, are spiritual. Spiritual gifts that have given to us for all eternity. And these are the ones I believe God wants us to focus on because he simply says this, Seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness, and he will add everything to you. And my inter in, uh, interpretation of that is for me, and I've said it before, says, Mike, if, I look after, if you look after my business, I'll look after yours. And this is what he writes to the church of Ephesus about these spiritual blessings. Paul in Ephesians 1 writes this, These are the highways of God, the higher blessings of God, I believe. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints of Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from our God, our Father, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. And it's great when God blesses us physically or financially or or wherever our needs are. But these are the ones that truly count. 
And this is what he says. And he starts listing the blessings of God. And the first spiritual blessing he speaks of in this Ephesians 1, he says this, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. I absolutely love Ephesians and especially this first, these first few verses, and hopefully you'll see why. You see, we often look for the physical when God is saying look for the spiritual. You see, physical needs are here today and gone tomorrow. But the salvation of our soul is eternal. And there cannot be a better blessing that God could have given us and given us this opportunity to make a choice. I'd look at it as a divine romance, and I've said this before, but I just want to remind us and ones that have haven't heard this, that when I met my wife, Deborah, and I got up the courage to ask her to marry me, um, I did. And in me, In a sense, what had happened, I'd chosen Deborah to be my wife, but for her to be my chosen one, she had to choose me, choose me. And God has chosen all of us. It's this divine romance, and we'll look at that in John 3.16. But he gives us a free will choice to choose him. And the ones who choose him like I say, become the chosen ones. Just think about that, meditate on that. I do on it many. You see, this is a place where God chooses us and gives us an opportunity to choose Him. And when I met my wife, Deborah, and I asked her, I didn't know, but by her saying yes to me and marrying me, um, she became, in a sense, my chosen one, and I became hers. Isn't that a beautiful picture? You see, the Bible says this. In John three sixteen to 18, this is a very, very simple message. And I'm trusting that people that don't know Jesus are following or have fallen away. And it says this in John three sixteen, For God so loved the world. God's love is all-inclusive. That he gave his only son. God gave his very best. That whomsoever believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And you can read the whole passage in context. You see, free will is the basis of true love. God chooses us, and we get the opportunity to choose Him in return in this beautiful divine romance. And it only gets better. Not only does God choose us, and this is where I want to go to now, but He also adopts us into His family. How many of you are... Thank you. How many of you... um, have been adopted? Well, I think you all should put all of your hands up. 
we're all adopted. How many of you now have been adopted into the family of God? We have. Of course we have. It's an amazing thing when you look at it. And as I've read this, and what is God getting at you? Because he speaks these as spiritual blessings. And this is what he says in Ephesians 1, 5 to 6. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he freely gave in us in the ones he loves. Chosen by God, adopted by God, and paid for by God. The ultimate expression of love. We often equate blessings from God as material things. But church, it's way, way much more than this. This is what it, when it counts. This is what cost God everything. And the value that he puts on your life and my life is the value of his son. He paid the price with his most precious position for us. We can never, ever outgive God. Chosen, adopted, and loved. The amazing thing about adoption is that you choose to adopt somebody. And God chose to adopt us. He didn't have to. Another thing about adoption that it costs. I go to Haiti and some third world countries and we have um, an orphanage and we're starting another ministry in Haiti at the, uh, at the moment. But I, and we can help them, but I would never, ever be able to go there and say, I'd lay down my life for them. I don't know if I'd love them that much. But God does that for us. And because of that, we come, become heirs and co-heirs with Christ. So I want you to think of the bigness and meditate on these kind of things. Instead of meditating on this or he loves me, he loves me a lot and all of this. Because when we do this, when we fix our eyes on Jesus and when we see what he's actually done for us and how much more he has for us and how much more he loves us, everything starts to become strangely dim. The enemy wants to trash talk us. The enemy wants to put our penny size issues against our eyes so he can block out the whole of God. I can be looking at the sun, in, and which I shouldn't do, but if I was, and it's bright and bright, all I would have to do to block the sun is put my finger in front of my eye. I don't need the whole universe to do that. And the enemy puts these things that blocks the sun and the light and the joy and the love of God. And it shouldn't be like that. Because this is what happens when we are born again. Romans says this, 8, 16 to 7, that through adoption we become heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And this is what he says. In Romans 16 and 7, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now listen to this of who you are. 
Church, if we're going to take this nation, if we're going to change the world, we need to understand who we are in Christ. There's an identity crisis in the body of the church. And I know for myself, there's often times where I've determined to push in the most, the more resistance I get and sometimes fall, fall to it. You see, the price is finished, church. And when God says he separates our sin as far as east is from the death, he says this, that he chooses to remember them no more. It's not that he's forgetful, but in his sovereignty and through the blood of Jesus who paid the price, he no longer looks back. He looks forward, and that's what God wants us to do. But this is who we are. We are royalty because of Jesus Christ. Romans eight sixteen and 17, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Every single one of us. And if we are children, then we are heirs. Now listen to this. It will blow your mind. Go and read this. Romans 8. We, we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share with his sufferings, in order that we may also share in the glory. And even when we're in those sufferings, he walks us through. But think about this. This is a wow, wow, wow verse. This is an amazing verse. Because of Jesus Christ, we are heirs with God and co-heirs with Christ. There's no higher place outside of the Godhead than for us to be heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. We have power, we have authority, we have his word, we have each other. And God is wanting to mobilize the priesthood of all believers. Christianity and religion can become a, a spectator sport. Where we sit in the bleachers, and I've been there many times, and watch the show. But God wants us to engage. God wants us to um, get on the ice, even like the poor Canucks when they're struggling, they try their best. But God is raising up an army, and he's going to raise it with or without us. And I'm praying that we as a little church here in Nanaimo will be, play our part, every single one of us. We are kings and priests. We have authority. You see, just think of this, as I've just said too, but think of it, that there's no higher honor that God could bestow on us than to be an heir of God and a co-heir with Christ. And because we are heirs of God, we can have confidence to enter into the very throne room of God any time we want. We think of those poor Israelites. They had to go and catch a lamb or slaughter an ox. They had to do all of this. They had to do all of these. And when the sacrifice for the nation was made in the Holy of Holies, and the chief priest would go in there, he would go in there with fear and trembling. They would tie a rope to his leg so that if he died in there, they didn't have to go and fetch him. Because it was so holy, and they had to be so anointed. But in Christ, 
because God does not look at us as who we are. He looks at us through Christ, the perfect sacrifice. And so we have confidence to enter the most holy place. How? Through the blood of Jesus, by a new and a living way, open up for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest of the church of God, let us draw near to God with sincere heart and with a full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Church, God is always knocking. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing that He waits for us to open the door of our hearts. He wants to sprinkle us. He wants to set us free. And then He says this, Paul, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for He who promises faithful. But let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. Don't you feel just better coming with 50 people or so? Isn't just an amazing feeling and all of that? And so we need to gather, church. We need to. We need to do it safely, but we need to gather. And here, and he says this, as some of them have habit of doing all the more as we see the day approaching. So this is what God has done for us, chosen us, adopted us, redeemed us, and given us unhindered, unhindered time in the throne room. So easy, church. And this is how we're going to get through. You see, Ephesians says this. In Ephesians One, it says this, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, in accordance with his riches of God's grace, that he has lavished on us with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. And these scriptures, I'm just wanting to read them, but if you can go online and just get these scriptures, they will change your life. It's been an amazing journey that I've been on this week. Again, re-looking at these scriptures. And he says this, speaking of us. Once again, Paul reminds us of who we were when then God reminds us of who we are. Because love of the Father is greater than our sin because he paid the price with his son. And this is what it says about us. But this is not who we are. This is who we were. And it is finished. And if we don't get over this, it's like walking around with a ball and chain on. We walk so far and the the ball says, no, you can't go any further. And we need to meditate on this, on the unconditional, undeserved, unmerited love of God. And this is what Paul says, and he's actually speaking of himself very much when he writes this. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the rule of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is at work in those who are disobedient. 
All of us also lived amongst them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sin nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But, and I love this, I love when God says but, because <laughs> it gives us hope, because this is what he says. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace we have been saved. And, and God raised him up to the highest place. We know that. You see, church, God is not only a loving God, not only a forgiving God, not only a a good God, but the Word of God says this, that He is a kind God. And I love the fact that God is loving, but not kind. How many of us think of God as a kind God? And He reminds us, of, Paul reminds us in Titus 3, 3 to 5, about the kindness of God. He says, at one time, you two were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, Savior, appeared, He saved us, and He set us free, church. And that's where we are now. That's where God has us now. And as I said before, not only we loved not only we are chosen, but we are also adopted. And it's in him we have redemption. His blood, the forgiveness of sin. And if we could bow our heads for a moment. And the worship team could come forward. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for everyone here today, Lord. Lord, I thank you for the ones that have been obedient to you in baptism. I pray your blessing upon them, Lord. I thank you for the many baptisms that we've had over the past few months and seen people saved and come back to church, Lord. You are working in the midst of what's going on, Lord. You never leave us or forsake us. And Lord, I pray right now, Lord, for a fresh revelation for each one of us. You simply say this in John 1, 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins to you, even right now, you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And ask Holy Spirit, to sprinkle the clean water upon us, to make us clean. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to open our eyes to see the true blessings, the spiritual blessings, chosen by God, forgiven by God, loved by God, empowered by God. Those are the true blessings. Everything else is a bonus, Lord God. And I pray, Lord God, that in these times there will be a mighty move of your Spirit. 
I pray that it includes us, Lord God. I pray that the wells of salvation will be opened, Lord God. And as we humble ourselves, Lord, and we begin to pray more, and we begin to seek your face and not simply your hand, face time with God, then you promise, Lord God, you promise that you will hear from heaven and you will bring, bring healing to our nation. So therefore, God, the future of the nation is in the church. If we humble ourselves, pray, seek your face, and turn from our wicked ways, then you will hear from heaven and heal on land. And we want to see that, Lord God, a great and mighty revival. And Lord, even now, I pray, Holy Spirit, to begin to pour out your presence and your anointing like never before. Wash us, as I said, Lord. Cleanse us. Refresh us. Empower us. We acknowledge that without you we can do nothing. But you said in you, in the name of Jesus, we can do all things. So Lord, we thank you for your amazing grace. Church, can we please stand and worship God?